0: everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where today's benefit of waking up at 4 a.m. is that we were able to eat before the fast. <laughs> and I know that Charlie just gave me props for my strange hours, but frankly, I really <laughs> I really am a little nutty, and it's nutty that I wake up when I do, and that I do it on a regular basis, and that I think it's normal. So please do not try this at home. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Segal Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 10 a.m. right after Charlie and right after, right before Nahum's live lunch as I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Avram, can I have the, uh, the cable for my iPad? I just want to, I just want to make you laugh a second, if that's all right. That's all right. Coming to you.
1: I do like to laugh.
0: I know, and I think you'll laugh. Coming to you from the, from the home of the Nahum Seal Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my handy dandy partner, Avram. What's up, Avram?
1: How are you? I also, uh when I got off the bus, I had to check what I was hoping this week, what time the fast was going to start here, and I <laughs> find out exactly how many minutes I had, and then I had a plan to bring a little bit of food, but that didn't work out, so I ended up this morning, because now every week, right after I get off the bus, I go into Penn Station, yeah, and so um, so I got a coffee there. And I couldn't find like a kosher muffin, something whatever. No. So I got one of those single servings of Cheerios.
0: Oh, nice. And that not was not my bad. thing.
1: So I had some coffee and Cheerios and water and the- with plenty of time before the fast.
0: Yeah, and at 4:45 when I was standing in 7-Eleven, yeah, at one point I'm like, wow, this is really nutty. But I do that every day, so it really doesn't matter. Here, you know what? Can you um, can you pod this up a second? I just want you to know what I've been channeling. This is what I've been channeling lately. Do you know why? Why? Because I feel like we come from the land of ice and snow. <laughs> For those of you who are, like, tuning in and going, what's going on? Why is she playing Zeppelin? Because I am. Because it's cold outside again. And uh, I'm going to pot it down, by the way.
1: We had a day or two. Of, we did.
0: Uh, it was amazing. Right th-
1: outside. It was
0: Tuesday. Tuesday, we're walking around outside. And Nahum and I, it was it was right after the show at Aaron's Casino Farms, which was fantastic, the live lunch from there. We're walking around outside. And, man, it was so nice. And you get used to it, and I didn't even feel the need to like wear tights that day or put on a heavy coat. It was just like so nice. And then at night, like at, uh, whatever time I woke up this morning, it was 19 degrees. I'm like, come on, people. And then just getting off the subway. I mean, my hands are still red, because of course I don't have gloves in my pockets anymore. I mean, who wears gloves in March? Yeah, that would be us. Anyway, I can imagine it was even colder for you when you got off this morning.
1: Yeah, it was pretty cold. And I waiting last night. I don't know. It was just it was ridiculous just how quickly it dropped from like sixty something degrees down to twenty degrees. Oh,
0: brutal! Yeah. And it's supposed to be in the night in the fifties on Shabbos. Thank God. And yeah.
1: yeah, like around that also on Purim. So it's not right. it's not great, but it'll do. It's right, it'll than...
0: totally do. It's better than today <laughs> because you know once your kids are in those costumes, they're not putting on a coat on top of that. So you're going to have to pick your battles. We're all going to have to pick our battles.
1: I didn't know what your fasting situation was going to be because there's, you know, obviously there's people sound that cranky? are fasting Do I and I there sound are people cranky? for whatever reason, health what reasons did you just otherwise. Bring? So I brought you for, po- well, if you're oh, not fasting, no. it was going to be for now. And if it was going to be, if you are fasting, it's post-fast treat because oh, oh, I'm not going to no. see you on Purim. It's so
0: Temptation Island in here. He <laughs> <bought> <laughs> me in black and white. Oh. So
1: put it in a bag or something.
0: A rum.
1: I think in this fast if you get a slight headache you could break it
0: right. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's a cooler for something. I'm sniffing it. How how pathetic am I? But it's ten o'clock. I mean for these for me this is the afternoon. Isn't the fast over for people like me yet?
1: I got something oh special for God. the big boss too when you he did? gets in. Yeah. Is it a
0: mun hummy? Oh yes it is. Yes it is. You should know <laughs> by the way that um we're really gonna leave the preview of Daniel Stunt Show till later. But we recorded it yesterday at Cedar Market specifically because we didn't want to have a food show. And Daniel was doing food-related stuff on Tana Sester. So we recorded it yesterday, and my God, was it funny. And there was definite hamantashin involvement Um and mun Humintoshin, and the whole nine yards. But it was so funny, and um, mun hamantashin actually were the inspiration for Daniel's show.
1: So you've got that in your – I've got what? You said you're going to be playing it uh...
0: – Playing
1: what? I don't know, you just said you're going to be doing some sort of, uh, work No, oh,
0: doing... oh, 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 we're, we're going to, um, Jesse Hollander. Now, see, now I love it when you and I communicate because <laughs> it's actually pretty good for radio when you and I are on the same page. Um, Jesse Hollander from Cedar Market and from Aaron's Casino Farms is going to join us at the end of the program ah, okay. just as a tease to make sure that everybody tunes in for tomorrow. But I have to tell you, it was so funny that I'm, I'm even happier that we videoed it because if it, if it comes out just as funny as it was to be there, I mean, the, the, the people who were watching on were laughing hysterically. It was just that funny, and you couldn't have scripted any of it. But it was really, it was quite enjoyable. Anyway, we do have a whole show to get to, and do you see what came for me, by the way? I did. Oh, my gosh. It's quite, sorry, my dad will <laughs> like this, but it's quite fortunate. Um, and I, a shout-out to Ellie Katz. And that's actually who I was going to uh, mention as we continue my intro, which we really need to do. If Miriam L. once a week is just not enough for you, do... What L.E.Y. Cats did. Friend me on Facebook. Send me an invite and LinkedIn. You can shoot me an email. Miriam at NahumSiegel.com. I will not respond to you during the show. Not being rude. Just being honest. Please also follow us on Twitter. NahumSiegelNet. That's all one word. And Miriam L. Wallach. And so this was my shout out to L.E.Y. Katz from Chopsticks in Teaneck on West Englewood Avenue. That he sent me. He told me during the marathon that he was going to send me an entire box of fortune cookies. Because as we know, I do start the show every morning, every Thursday with a fortune cookie. And uh, Mark Somic did have a hand in this as he said, hey, you know, Miriam uses fortune cookies every day, every week on the show. And, well, what was Ellie going to do at that point? Just say, oh, great. But, no, actually, he stepped up and he sent me 400 fortune cookies. So, Judy Horowitz, you are off. You, you don't you don't you're off duty for a while. I mean, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Thank you so much for the fortune cookies that you've been providing. But, um, yeah, for the next year <laughs> of live programming, we're set. And uh, hopefully by the next marathon, I'll see Ellie again and I'll say, dude, we're low. But until then, we are completely stocked. So let's get let's get out to the fortune cookie, our fortune cookie today, because you know what that sound means. And I will not be eating today's fortune cookie, even though I do love a good vanilla fortune cookie. You miss 100 percent of the shots you never take. This is actually a line of somebody else's. If you Google this, I think this was like I think this is Wayne Gretzky. I'm pretty sure that somebody actually said this. Confucius has now stolen somebody else's fortune. This did not come from Ellie y. Katz's box, by the way. I just want to say it's still intact. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to have to Google that later and get that out there. But that's actually pretty disturbing that the fortune cookie people are taking – somebody should respond to that. Of course, I'm not going to read it during the show. But if you know where the line you miss 100% of the shots you never take comes from, it's definitely an athlete. I've I've definitely read it on like some something. I've definitely read it before. Anyway, that was today's fortune. It's still good, monsieur. Let's go to our national holidays. It's National Procrastination Week. It ends tomorrow. So if you've been procrastinating doing something, you can procrastinate one more day, and then actually the day after, you got to do it. It's also Universal Women's Week. It's Teen Tech Week, which in my house is every single week. It's Girl Scout Week. International Brain Awareness Week. Yes, I am thoroughly aware of my brain, so kudos to that. Today's in today's date, by the way, today the thirteenth, is Donald Duck Day. So shout out to Stephen Wallach, who seriously does the best Donald Duck impression ever. Um not the reason I fell in love with him, but it's definitely up there. And um it's Ken Day, as in the Ken doll. Not as in Ken Friedman, but as in the Ken doll, which I think is funny. It's National Open an Umbrella Indoors Day, not sure why you would want to do that. It is Tana Sester, it's World Kidney Day, and ironically enough, Avram, it's National Earmuffs Day. Yeah, exactly. Because my kids did leave this morning with their earmuffs. Do you know what tomorrow is, by the way? Uh no, actually it's not. Do you know what to- you need a <laughs> mic? You know what tomorrow is? What is tomorrow? Tomorrow is Pi day as in PI. You know why? No. Because it's March fourteenth. Three point one four. I'm, I'm not a math this guy. I'm not all, a right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Neither am I, but I know those numbers. But yes, tomorrow is national Pi day. So you know what we're buying tomorrow at Gourmet glot right after. Boston Naomi- Cream Pie? Yeah, right. Well Really? You're a Boston Cream Pie fan?
1: And, well, I don't really eat fruit much. So.
0: Oh, that's right. You don't eat fruit much. And personally, I don't believe that fruit and baked goods belong together ever. It doesn't make any sense to me, like a cherry pie or something like that. That doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, it's National Pie Day. Is uh, Jessica on the line, by the way? Excellent. So let's get started. You're listening to That's Life here on the Nahum Segal Network. And my first guest, Jessica Steinberg of Times of Israel, I was actually fortunate enough to finally meet her. Who knew? My gosh, who knew that we would be so many times a ship's passing in the night? But we were finally able to meet each other at the NBN, the Nefesh Benefesh Mega Event that took place on Sunday in Times Square. Jessica, how are you?
2: I am great. How are you? I
0: am well, and I'm so happy we a caught up on on Sunday and actually put uh real people, I mean I would say faces to the voices and to the names, faces. but exactly. Right. But now actually bodies. It was nice to actually see you. So let's talk the about the thing. Yeah. Let's talk about the um the, the piece that you wrote. Nefesh Benefesh turns immigrants into pioneers, which is a nice shout out to the Khalutzim. Um and yes. and to and I don't know if that's the way you meant it or if that's the way everyone's picking up on it, but that's exactly the way I took it.
2: Really? Um that's interesting to hear. So I mean, it does seem like Nefesh Benefesh, which is now 12 years in existence, is pushing its pioneering program, which is their Go North and Go South program, uh, getting, excuse me, getting New Olim to either move to the Galil, which they've had several hundred, uh, no, excuse me, they've had 3,000 uh, since they started the program moving to the north mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, and they're only in the hundreds now for the south. Um, but are looking to really build up that program over the next few years.
0: Okay, and, and people are, when, when we say that people are going north and south, there's been primarily a bigger movement towards the north at this point.
2: Right, right. The north is more established. The Galilee, the Galilee, the Golan, <laughs> certainly the Galilee is very established at this point. Um, the, the eastern Galilee, close to the Kineri, little more so than the western Galilee. Um, but essentially, you have a lot of tourism up there. You have, um, some factory towns. You have a lot of different efforts that have been going on over the last 10, 15 years that make employment much easier to find. It's just much more established, much more built up. The South is really Israel's almost final frontier at this point, where you can, you know, you can drive many miles sometimes without really seeing full. Existence of people and neighborhoods. Right. Beersheva is the main city of the south, and in fact, um, the vice mayor of Beersheva was at the Nefesh B'nefesh Mega Alida event, right. and he talked about something really interesting called essentially relocation, meaning what they often find is they'll have Anglo's English speaking Olim who first settle in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv right. or somewhere. And then figure out that they don't need to be necessarily in those city centers in order to find their chavra and their, you know, place where they really want to settle down. I thought and Be'er Sheba, that.
0: Yeah. No, I was going to say it. I just I thought that that was really a very interesting point because that's something that that's a conversation that Stephen and I have had a number of times. Like if if and when, or please God, just when right. we finally make right. Aliyah, where would we live? And for Stephen as 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 for many, and this is not a criticism, but as for Stephen, it was like, "How could I move to Israel and not live in Jerusalem?" And to me, it's like, just get me in the walls, like just get me in the four walls of the country, get me in the borders, just put me in the land. I'm happy wherever we are but um but no. i but I understand the draw to Jerusalem, but then people get there and realize it's not a small town feel no, no
2: i mean <laughs> there is there is a certain village feel among those of us who are English speakers, and I live in Jerusalem. And sometimes we really, we really all feel that way and it can be a great feeling. But there is a really, there's a country outside of Jerusalem and it's a gr- and, you know, it's fun to explore it and I always say to my husband, you know, put me in a kibbutz. He always <laughs> says that I would not be happy. But you know, when you, when you get to travel as much as I do around the country, there are so many great options and the South, South is fantastic. It's, you really sense the, the opportunity that's in the South. And um and I think it's cool that Nefish Benefish has really latched onto that and found partners in Karen Kayemet and JNF and and in other organizations that are helping them place people and get people out there.
0: Were you surprised by the diversity of attendance at the Mega on Sunday?
2: Um, I think it is definitely becoming more diverse than it than it once felt and um and I talked to nefesh-benefesh executives about this, you know, is it more diverse, is it less diverse? And, you know, clearly they don't necessarily want to talk about um, their supposed, you know, diversity or less than diversity. Um, I think they are definitely, again, they're trying to get different populations moving to Israel. Right. I think for at, at the very beginning of the nefesh-benefesh Program and or you know organizational development. There were a lot more modern Orthodox families and couples that were you know jumping on the bandwagon, and now you find you know singles, kids going to the army, kids going to college, retirees, and I think you do find people of different stripes. I think it's predominantly still observant families mm-hmm. um, who are heading that way. But I also think, and this is actually this, this partially the subject in another article I'm working on right now, that because Tel Aviv has become such a center of Israeli life, you know, a startup nation, right. and it is very much so an Israeli and very much so a secular city, that is a huge draw for a lot of people who want to feel Jewish and want to feel part of the you know, Israeli nation, but don't necessarily want to do so in, in Jerusalem, I'd say.
0: Interesting, um and I, I, one I thing, think we're going to be seeing why that, yeah, no, but I noticed also that that French couple that there's a picture of um in the article and that you were able to speak to um and also, and this is going to sound crazy, but it struck me at the same time when I had gone on the Times of Israel site um when the when you had first posted the article on Facebook, was that Times of Israel is is available in multiple languages, including French. And that
2: is very new. Yeah. yeah.
0: And and it really spoke to me. And the fact that this the woman the, the in this couple, the 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 wife, she her family's already there. And right. Um, and it just really spoke to me, a about the influx of of the French from France into Israel and b the the anti-Semitism that is still very, very palpable and very real that is going on in Europe and in France specifically. And how there's um, there's going to be a new absorption issue, or
2: there, are, there already is. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know necessarily so much about the absorption issue of the French of French Jewry. What I can tell you on the ground, for instance, Times of Israel has a French edition now because there are so many right. French Olim and French Jews who are thinking about coming to Israel, and on the ground in Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, in some other cities but very, you really feel it in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. The French influx is a fantastic thing. Mm. You know, as I was saying to someone, we have great baguettes now. <laughs> we have great croissants. We have great butchers. And the macaroons. So the French, they know how to do this stuff. Right. And they've been doing it for hundreds of years, well, and now they're bringing it to Israel.
0: What's funny is that when I was in Yushalayim two weeks ago and I was at the Petisserie on... Um, on uh Rachel. Rachel and Menuh. And Menuh. Exactly. On Rachel Menu and I walk <laughs> in there and there are you know it's beautiful, a, just looking at the baked goods and B, all the colors of the macaroons and the this and the that. and um, I was the only person in there not speaking French, and that doesn't right. just include the people behind the counter, so it right. was it, it was the default. you know it's not that the the default language in that shop at that moment was English, as it is in so many stores in Israel. The default language was French, and I was right. really the minority. You're feeling it
2: more and more. You are. We are feeling it more and more. One of our uh, one of our competing papers um, put out a little piece a couple of weeks ago about you know the the five or ten best French places in Tel Aviv. You know restaurants, cafes, bakeries. um, Maybe there were a few other stores, kind of stores mixed in there. And because there is. Really, there are you know French in real numbers now. Mm. They're holding their own and they're <laughs> making they're making their statements. And um, and it's much more common to hear French on the street than it used to be. And everyone I know feels like it's a really welcome addition. Why wouldn't it be?
0: Really? Oh, good. You know? That's great. No, it, it would it would seem to me that it would be. I mean, and again, like the more the merrier, so to speak. We do need to populate the north, the south, and. Everywhere in between, and the funny thing is also is um, when you highlighted the couple from El Paso, um, right? The the uh, the Rothschilds, Hank,
2: Hank and Susie. Hank right. and Susie.
0: Nahum actually also had the had them on the air on Sunday live from the event, and their story was different. Their story was very yeah. interesting, but their story was different.
2: Their story was really interesting. So Susie grew up in a on a farm. She is a third generation farmer. Uh, near El Paso. Hank grew up in Brooklyn, and they met in Houston, I believe. Yes, Houston, at maybe some kind of Israel event, and um, fell in love and got married and spent their first year of marriage in Israel on a program known as Wudges,
0: hmm.
2: um in Arad, which was a desert town, so Susie was very used to the climate, but they missed family too much. and They decided to move back to Texas, and they settled in El Paso and had four kids and a framing store, and then, reti- and then not really retired, but essentially then closed up shop in El Paso. One daughter lives in Jerusalem. One daughter lives in Plainview. Two sons are living in Austin right now. And when one daughter made Ali I think they basically decided that's where they wanted to head. But that daughter decided she wanted to move south and not live, as they said, in, you know, eight square meters in Katamon.
3: So right. she and a bunch right. of
2: friends started a kind of Gareen, you know, but to live in a suburban neighborhood outside in, down south. Right. And they decided to join in there and to go live there as well. Um, and they bought an apartment, and they're mm-hmm. planning on moving there pretty quickly.
0: That's amazing. Um, That's amazing.
2: Yeah, and she's a band director, you know, like a school band
0: Oh, really? That's so cool. She, yeah, yeah. So she wants to,
2: you know, either form or lead the school band that probably does not exist. <laughs> in well, Kiryat got.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know how many symbols are being smacked around over there, but, you know, the one thing about um, immigrants or one thing about the, the Israeli spirit is that if it's not there, it can be there. And and one of the things that, that we were talking about when I was um, at Nefesh Benefesh a couple of weeks ago, and that really. Um, came ringing true on Sunday was that there is something so valuable about being a fish in a small pond. And the ability to effectuate life and to make change and to bring forth goodness um, is, is such a palpable reality in Israel because one person can make such a difference. So that if somebody like Susie wants to start that band or if somebody else exactly. wants to go south into a small community and wants to help build it up, I mean, that's a real reality. That's not a far-fetched dream. People do that there.
2: You can even do it in bigger cities. I mean, that's, that's right. also been an interesting experience of mine. You know, I always say, for instance, in my business in journalism, you're, the, 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 the six degrees of separation really comes down to like one degree or mm. half a degree. Right. It's not that hard to get in touch with pretty much anyone in the country both in terms of actually knowing who they are or finding who knows them and in terms of actually picking up the phone and calling them. It's it's a pretty astounding thing, and it makes it a lot of fun. Living here can be, you know, aside from all the, the troubles and the issues that definitely go along with living in Israel, there is a certain sense of things are happening, and you can really do it. And I always say that's why there's a very high degree of entrepreneurship and, you know, people who just work for themselves because... You have an idea, so go and do it. It probably, it might not exist yet, so you would be the first one to make it happen and you know bring it forth.
0: Were all the, with all the um, people that with all the people that you spoke to on Sunday, um, was there was there concern with the um, the level of uh, the level of threat that's been going on this week and that's been going on lately, and then the the paradoxical. Um, rally that was taking place at the same time in lower Manhattan or were there <laughs> right. right or was there just a vision of I'm here and I am I am you know a, I'm a Zionist and I want to do this like there everyone has had challenges to face when they make Aliyah Mine are no different
2: right Um. I would say that people were feeling really you yeah, know they were very excited to be there so there wasn't a lot of focus in that crowd about what's going on right now. And I, I'm sure people pay attention to it once they, you know, left the, left the event and go listen to the news or go watch some, you know, go read something online. Um, but I think it is very different once you get here and you gain a different understanding of why things are happening and how they're happening.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. So with a couple of minutes left, just tell me, and I, I'm going to feed you the line. Just how impressed yeah. were you? How impressed were you with the mega event? Because we were blown away.
2: Pretty professional. Yeah. Those guys, all, all the nephish-benephish people walking around with the little uh, curly uh, telephone wires <laughs> in their ears. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, it was, uh, the, the, the numbers were pretty astounding. I was, you know, as a quote-unquote Israeli, I was pretty surprised by the representation of um, accounting firms, law firms, universities, colleges, uh, besides the shipping companies, besides all the logistical kind of people. Right, right. The people who came from all the municipalities mm-hmm. and local authorities who paid their way to come because they want to encourage Aliyah to their towns and cities.
0: Listen, that's I always did been... I not expect that. That's always been a concern. It's always a concern. And I, I remember... Um, when, when Nahum and I were on the, uh, charter flight last summer and, right. and I was talking, we were talking to various people who are making Aliyah and all these, and they were all excited and they were all this. And one person who was a father of four and I said to him, so what are you going to do when he get when you get there? And he goes, I don't know, but I don't care. I'll do anything. And he was looking at his lack of, of definitive job as a world of opportunity. But frankly, it's, it's, it's incredibly scary. And
2: I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So so to have all of those different businesses represented and again, to that, they decided it behooves them to make the trek to New York to have themselves right. represented. That's also a tremendous right. statement.
2: Listen, I mean, I think
0: and I know that Nefes Benefers also
2: works on this, right. um, you know, in terms of the professional development and, you know, job networking. You know, I think one of the issues that sometimes Anglos have in Israel is that they don't learn Hebrew quickly enough or well enough. Mm. I I think that's an issue um, that people need to pay more attention to. I'm not saying go to Open in New York or New Jersey or L.A. I think, you know, Tachlas, as we say, you got to do it when you get here. And you have to spend some months doing that, and it's not always easy, but... If you can work in Hebrew, your opportunities are that much greater. It's
0: funny that you—it's um, funny that you bring that up because somebody I was talking to in Israel when I was there just you know a couple of weeks ago said to me that he finds it very difficult because he still, even though he's lived in Israel for five or six years, because he works in English, he still thinks in English, and as a result, um, while he is gainfully employed and his employment requires him to be fluent and work in English, he finds it as an impediment to. Still feeling like an Israeli,
2: it does. It is an impediment. It's it's a big problem. A lot more people now, of course, commute to the states, right? Or right, right. telecommute. Um, I know plenty of people who do that, and I understand it from a financial, you know, point of view, and you know, in terms of your income. But on the other hand, it means we are not really living the same kind of Israeli life, and it makes it that much harder in terms of you know speaking to your neighbors making israeli friends understanding what goes on in your kids schools uh seeing an israeli movie listening to the news and on and on and on and on it's hard to really live someplace if you're living in another language in that place did you it's living in translation
0: yeah no that's a good point did you get um an opportunity to speak to either of the mayors or any of um the- yeah I, I spoke to most of them actually
2: um They, listen, for them, at the same time, as we're saying this about employment and being Israeli, they basically, they, they want, you know, Nefesh Benefesh, Anglo immigrants, because essentially Anglo immigrants are generally well-educated, professional residents of any place that they live. They bring, they bring a lot to the table. They know, you know, how to, how to help run a society and how to help build up a society. And some of the smaller places, especially, they want that kind of influx into their neighborhoods. They were, you know, Haifa, for instance, which has right. never traditionally had a large Anglo population, had a very big Russian population when, when the immigration happened in the early 90s.
0: Mm-hmm. And now
2: they are looking for Anglos, for instance.
0: And actually, uh, somebody that was on with Nahum on Sunday, I forget her name, but she is making Aliyah from Riverdale. And she said that they are moving to Haifa. And Nahum joked on the air that while I was in Haifa two weeks ago, I took pictures. All right. A little bit of like a stalker, but I took pictures of this house that I want. And no, the uh-huh. house is, no, the house is not for sale. And yes, it is currently occupied and everything else, but I took pictures of it anyway. Cause I just fell in love with Haifa. And she said to me, and I spoke to her when she was off the air and I showed her the pictures and I showed her this. And I said, like, I, I can totally see myself. There and I don't think I would have ever said that before, but I could totally see myself living in Haifa. Yeah, Haifa's got
2: the beach, right? <laughs> you know, right. It, I mean, it, these are these are these are not small. <laughs> this is not a small thing, right? Haifa is a really is a is a great city. It doesn't get as much attention, um, and it's also a very integrated city, which is important to a lot of people. It has a significant Arab population. That lives side by side with a significant Jewish population, and and that's something that hasn't been accomplished in obviously most Israeli cities.
0: I also was um, very impressed with the mayor of Tzfat. Um, he came on, and he his name escapes me for a second, and I do apologize, but he came on, and he was so um, magnetic. Just he had this wonderful personality and the spirituality, which is obviously what brings everyone to Tzfat. And um, in the first place as tourists, again, the concept of moving to Tzwat and living there for the rest of your life is so romantic.
2: Right. And he's got uphill battle because Tzwat at the same time as being a very romantic and religiously emotional kind of city is also a city that has had a lot of lower income families and a lot of trouble. And he's really, his name also escapes me. And he's been doing a lot of work in the last couple of years to really make it into a different kind of place, a much more popular tourist site, not just for people who are looking for that religious experience, but who are also looking for the beauty of of that. Um, and it has, obviously, it has a lot of potential, you know. But it's way up there on the hill, right. and um, you know, you definitely have to make a certain kind of commitment to go there. But I think he's had, I think he's had some success. Uh, certainly in drawing some Anglo families there, some English-speaking families there. But it, that's what it takes. It takes someone who really recognizes. You know, I think for a long time, uh, North American Anglo-Olim, were not, they weren't seen as an impediment at all. But they weren't, you know, because a lot of them speak English, a lot of us speak English and don't necessarily meld as easily with the Israeli, with the native Israeli population, Sometimes it's seen as, you know, sort of this separate group. They do well, they succeed, but they also live very far away from their, you know, from their homeland and from where they were born mm-hmm. and from their families. And it can make it much tougher. Right. Something that Nefes talks about is their 97% retention rate. Right. So people don't go back the way they used to.
0: And that's significant. Oh, that's huge. Um, and by so the way, it ties in, to really fit in. It also it ties in to the quote that you have from Russell Robinson where he says, You are now more powerful than an F 16. And I thought that that was such a great statement because you want. You want these, these Olim to feel empowered. You want them to understand and to appreciate the impact of their move because they should know it doesn't just impact their lives, but they are impacting the lives of everyone who lives there.
2: Right, and I think that's exactly it. I don't think people always thought that way, either Israelis or Americans, and it's seen much – listen, there are many more Americans in the Knesset now. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Politicians. Right. Um, there are many more Americans – who are who are out there in Israeli society more than you've ever seen before, and that has an impact. When someone even gets on, you know, you know, when someone gets on the news or gets on the radio, and they have they clearly have an American accent in Hebrew, but they're out there. They're on TV. Mm-hmm. They're on the news. They're on the radio. Right. They're making headlines. That has an impact on everyone. Everyone says, Oh, okay, those American, You know, they. They have a place here. They know what they're doing, and we can benefit from what they know.
0: Well, speaking of the speaking of the famous American that you just wrote about, and really, we unfortunately, even though you know, I could speak to you for the full hour, I do have to wrap up. <laughs> Tell me, is for for real? Roseanne Barr is making Aliyah?
2: I don't know. She she uh, replied to the tweet from Nefesh Benefesh saying Aliyah 2014.
0: Oh my I think, word!
2: I think she has. Um, oh, she is Jewish.
0: Right, and
2: her she wants to bring her mother to Israel. Her mother's never been here, as far as I understand. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if she's about to move from Hawaii to Israel, but I I certainly think she's probably planning a trip in the not-so-distant future. So we'll have to see what comes of that.
0: Well, if Nachum and I are going to be on any flight this summer with Nefesh Penefesh, I'm sort of going to have to angle to be on one with her. Jessica Steinberg <laughs> from Times of Israel, thank you so much for joining me. You should always, always, you can subscribe <laughs> to Times of Israel and make sure to catch... Uh, jessica's we uh, almost daily it seems at this point your articles are coming out so frequently so thank you for keeping us up thanks mary i appreciate it you got it you're listening to that's life here at the nachum siegel network and my next guest joins me on the air actually i think he's also in israel truly rosner are you there
3: Yeah, I'm here, and I am in Israel. I'm in uh, Yerushalayim, overlooking the old city.
0: Okay, so basically you're rubbing it in. (laughs) Director of the OU Job Board, Srili (laughs) Rosner, joins me on the air. Thank you for taking the time. I know we only have a couple of minutes. Um, But I just wanted to highlight a couple of things. The OU uh, Job Board did have an event. Actually, it was last week in Chicago. We made that mistake this morning. It was last week in Chicago. But there's a lot going on with the OU Job Board recently and upcoming events. There's a big event coming up in May.
3: Yeah, we have on uh, May 13th, we're going to have an Israel job fair and that, uh, that is usually held annually over the past, over the past three years. Actually, we held it uh, once a year, but this one is a little bit different. Uh, we've taken out a hotel, uh, hotel uh, ballroom, uh, Jerusalem Gardens Hotel here in Yerushalayim. We are uh, setting up, uh, and we hope to uh, finish setting up, about 70 employers offering about four to 500 jobs. Wow. And we're expecting about 1,000 people. Mostly, we're, we're angling um, to uh, target uh, Anglo-speaking, so uh, American Olim or Ang- any Anglo uh, Olim. Uh, we want to keep them here in Israel. Right, and hopefully we'll be able to give them the uh, the job and the Parnassa to do it.
0: Well, this is a good, that was an excellent segue, unbeknownst to you, from my previous conversation with Jessica Steinberg <laughs> about the nefesh Benefesh <laughs> event and making sure that our olim um, are able to make aliyah and are financially secure as they're doing so. I'm going to ask you what what's going to seem as a slightly strange question, but as a person who directs the OU job board, you are definitely the person to ask. You know, people do whatever they can when they are unemployed to become employed and this is not a knock and this is not a dig. Um and as a person who gives advice to people and helps um you know with resume working or just interview skills etc. I'm sure you've heard and seen it all. But tell me something, is it a detriment to a um a potential or a, somebody who's looking for a job, somebody who is currently unemployed to to reach out on Facebook in a general manner and say these are my skills Anybody know anybody? Um, still looking, etc. Is that is that a a a good tactic to take, or is that something that needs to be avoided?
3: Well, I'll I'll tell you. Um, uh, although we have a Facebook account, and I personally have a Facebook account, uh, Facebook is a little bit of a uh, it, it's sort of like the Wild West. <laughs> um, uh, and when when you think of Facebook, you don't you don't necessarily think of Facebook as a professional. Uh, area where you would post your resume, etc. What I, what I would suggest that uh, instead of doing that on Facebook, you do that that same exact thing that uh, scenario that you just mentioned, but you do it on LinkedIn. Right. And uh, LinkedIn uh, just makes it more of a professional uh, more of a professional uh, say look. You'll you'll have more professionals reading it. Facebook could work if you have never done anything else on Facebook other than present yourself as a professional looking for a job.
0: Ah, good point, uh, good point. That's
3: not what Facebook is all about, and uh, I don't think uh, Facebook is is the necessary tool. Uh, for this, I think the best tool would be LinkedIn.
0: No, that's a really good point because once you are posting something like that on your Facebook page, you are leaving yourself open to everything else you have posted on your Facebook page.
3: One hundred percent. As a matter of fact, I uh, every once in a while, uh, as part of uh, part of what I do, when people um, when employers post their jobs on the uh, OU job board. Uh, we, I have my staff and myself. We answer some of these jobs as, as if we are prospective uh, job seekers looking to fill that position, just to make sure these jobs are real. Oh! And the uh, the um, big question now that's going on, I would say now, in about seventy percent, at least, of middle to upper management jobs, is what is your Facebook account? Right. They want to know exactly uh, where they can reach you on Facebook. I'm assuming they're assuming that everybody has a Facebook account, but actually what they're doing is market research on you. Interesting. So Facebook is, is a little bit uh, of, of a dangerous place uh, if you have said outrageous stuff or uh, if, you, if you put a blog that really doesn't belong in a professional place, you just wanted to make a joke, and it, it does bite you. It does get to bite you back.
0: It's the, so third, it's the third rail.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It could, and, it, and you really can get blown up on it. Ugh. So I, 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 I want people, I mean, if, if they, they want to do social media, I would like people to, uh, to aim their uh, their social media um, advertising of themselves into a, a LinkedIn type of uh, situation, which is much more professional.
0: Now, I know you also offer online career counseling. Tell me how that works yeah. online.
3: So this is, this is a, a fantastic program. Um, what happens is a person gives us some basic information by filling out a form sends us their resume, and we, in turn, give it to a, uh, a, a career counselor, uh, 95% of whom are licensed, the other 5% used to own um, uh, businesses in career placement. So uh, we're really covering the, the whole gamut. And uh, they review the, uh, the application. They then uh, inform the person either through us uh, at the very, very first time about, um, they introduce each other. We're sort of the shidduch maker. We introduce the, uh, the applicant to the, uh, actual career counselors and we, uh, we moderate, uh, what information has to go back and forth. And then they're on their own for the first, uh, hour, uh, that, uh, of, of this by, via Skype or via any other uh, Google Plus or what have you. If people don't have that facility, then um, then they could do it over the phone, and it actually is a um, a regular career counseling session.
4: Interesting. And
3: um, and we also have mentors for people that uh, are looking to expand the business, et cetera. And this is done live, and that they can do a follow up anytime they want with the career counselor as many times as they want.
0: That's great. It's amazing to me how. Um... Whether it's Skype or FaceTime or Google Plus or, or Google Hangout, like all of these, um, these networking or just like communicative opportunities really help help us within the workforce in so many different ways. And while we use here in the studio, we can always we have often used Skype um, to right. have a guest on the air and have a host on from a remote location. Um it really does help bring people together and I would imagine also in that kind of a setting you re- or situation you really want to have that one on one you do not want to get advice from somebody who just pops up on a screen and some kind of an icon you really want to have that kind of interaction
3: Yes and and you know some of our career counselors uh you know are located uh, actually some of them are located in Israel some of them are located in Canada uh, California, et cetera. So we we try to make uh, the best use of the technology available to make it uh, as real as possible, as virtual as possible. And everything that we do really on the job board is to make it feel as if you are inside that computer with us or inside that office with us uh, doing, doing the things that we do from online classes, which are fully interactive uh, via Citrix. You can raise your hand and ask the questions, and and you'll get an answer right away, as if you were in a classroom. To uh, seminars and webinars that are also all uh, uh, virtual and all interactive and all archived. So we we try to make sure that whatever people need in an employment process, it's not necessarily jobs. They could use training. Uh, we we provide it, and we we try to be as uh, as friendly and as homely as possible, so people will, will don't feel under the uh, under any pressure, uh, and they could ask the questions and they can get advice from real professionals.
0: So, Shirley Rosner, the director of the OU Job Board, joins us here on the air, talking about all the different things that the OU Job Board has to offer. But the most interesting thing I'm not discounting everything else, but the <laughs> most recent this most recent joint job fair between the OU right. Job Board and Yachad. So it was. Yes. You know, let's say mainstream folks and Yahad members. Tell me how that worked, um, and tell me if it was if 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 it was your vision, um, and how was how it came to life.
3: Well, the, the last uh, job that we did was at the Holocaust uh, Museum. I think that's the one you're referring to, where um, I uh, we, we made a very very big push in the Wall Street area uh, with professional jobs, and uh, I I just came to realize that uh, professional people uh, who who do mid-management or professional companies always have um, uh, mail rooms or always need messengers or always need uh, file clerks or data entry um, people. And uh, since we have done it previously uh, two uh, job fairs with Yachad, uh, we decided that on this lead job fair, Yachad uh, should join us. And indeed we had uh, an amazing result where we had uh, companies who were advertising uh, whatever jobs they were advertising on on, on uh, upper and, and uh, upper management mid management who also came with jobs uh, that would fit perfectly uh, for Yachad and um, it just it just matched and the sync was was fantastic amazing and we ended up uh, thank god we ended up having about uh 200 uh yachad uh, people coming and i believe uh, on our last count we had about 30 interviews or something set wow. up uh just just for them so you know what what more can you ask for uh, these are uh, you know yachad people are our people it's our community mm and it's very very difficult uh, as you know in uh, you know in this community to get a job let right. alone for uh, regular jobs out there and and people who are trying to get uh parnassa it's it's difficult how much more difficult is it for um a yahad member right. and we were just taking it back with the uh, with the positive response uh from the employers and um we liked it. It was good. Surely, it was a thousand is, people all together.
0: Is the that's incredible? I didn't realize that the number was that big. Is interview yes. prep for a Yachad member before they go to that job interview different than you would do for someone else?
3: Well, should uh, uh, be told, I don't do the interview preps for Yachad. Yachad does it. But what we do is uh, they work very closely with their counselors. Yachad is tremendous. They have a, uh, a staff that actually trains. Um, the yahad members the Yachad applicants mm-hmm. to uh to be interactive with people the the big um you know people think when they when they hire a uh a, a yahad type of person that you know they they 're doing it as a chesed or they're gonna do a favor and stuff like right. that but it 's right. really not true right. when i when i when i had my own business uh i i always had um someone in the back or two two people in the back doing uh, like a Yachad uh, person, and I have to tell you that the production uh, output and the uh, the actual work ethic uh, is just tremendous. It's it's it's, uh, it's above and beyond what you would expect. And the uh, right now, I, I have uh, two Yachad people working within my office and they are i, I, I want to use a euphemism, but they're—they're they're machines. I mean, they, they, they learn to do it, and they just knock it out. I don't think—I don't think my staff can keep up with them. <laughs> so, so it's—it's it's like very weird, and and people aren't aware of that. They're scared, and they have to fight this emotional uh, distress when, right. when oh, yeah, what's going to happen if they have if, if something goes wrong? It doesn't happen, and and I think when they meet them and the pre-interview uh, process where the Yasser people are taught to sort of be calm. And when the employers go ahead and meet them, they realize they're dealing with somebody quite intelligent, and, and it really works. That's and incredible. and uh, once they hire them, they never fire them. Ah, so that's we're, amazing. So uh, we're, we're, we're happy to do it, and we're looking for a future job fair coming up where uh, Yachad once again will be our partners.
0: Beautiful. Well, Shirley Rosner vote to you and everyone at the OU job fair. Tell me how does somebody reach the OU job fair? How, how does some or sorry, the uh, the job board? Job how board. does how does somebody so reach the job board?
3: It's www.oujobs.org.
0: That's easy enough. oujobs.org. <laughs> Shirley, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your stay there.
3: Oh, I appreciate it and thank you for the opportunity.
0: Oh, anytime. Anytime. You're listening okay. to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and Naomi Nachman, host of Table for Two, is actually on the line because we have a big show coming up tomorrow from Gourmet Glot. Good morning, Naomi. Hi Miriam,
4: how are you? I
0: am well. And we only have a couple of minutes because we are running out of time, and if Rummy starts to give me the dirty look with about six or seven minutes to the hour, and, yeah, yeah, and I'm frankly trying to avoid that this morning. What do we have? What do we have on the lineup for tomorrow?
4: Okay, we got a great show for tomorrow. We got. Uh, uh, Jay Booksbaum, who's oh, nice. doing um,
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> a wine a wine demonstration, but we're actually going to pair up wines with glasses. You know how we've been doing a lot of wine pairings with fruit or ice cream or cheese or, of course, Ableton sure. Hyman's amazing meats. Right. But this time we're actually going to. Apparently wine tastes different in, depending on what glass you use.
0: So we're not taking out the plastic cups that I usually grab off the shelf at Gourmet Glot? Yeah, no, we're not.
4: We're actually, Amazing. well, maybe that for the pass arounds to all the people that hopefully will come and watch. Right. If you're over 21. Yes. Um, but we're going to try to show people how you can use beautiful stemware for your soda oh, or, wow. or pe- for Pesa with the right wine in the right glass makes all the difference.
0: Well, I want you to know, my mother, uh, this is like a, uh, a, just a glimpse into my childhood. But my mother, when the kiddish was passed around, never drank it out of a kiddish cup. Um, she always found that the metallic taste against like the red wine or the white wine that my dad was using um, tainted the flavor. And so, I agree. Yeah, so he I poured it into a glass for her. My husband always has to pour
4: off into a glass for me.
0: There you go. Yeah. Wh-
4: so who's, we... pro- who's providing that stemware? Um, Jay. Nice. Really, I think maybe from his own house. <laughs> you know what?
0: With Jay, you never know, but he's amazing. He's, yeah, he's, he's
4: We've got Chip Recline coming in. We're going to talk about meats and the le- upcoming issue, uh, oh, the Pesach edition of Joy of Kosher Magazine. And we're going to be having um, Seth Levitt, who's the sponsor for Table for Two for sure. the entire year, is going to be talking about new products. Right, and Hyman. That has and- got coming out. Right. Amazingly very thin sliced deli, which has become very popular and we're going to be making pastrami hamantashen.
0: Oh, so I was going to ask you. I was watching some of the stuff you were posting on Facebook. And, of course, the meat hamantashen do not rock my life. I know. That's I know. all right. That's all right. More for of <laughs> rummy. But um, with all of the crazy humantashen, I should say crazy, creative, amazing humantashen, did you make any of these dyed humantashen that no, are these strange no. colors? No,
4: I'm not. My Our friend uh, Melinda Strauss from KitchenDestTester.com, she has a huge blog and she's been on our show. She made these tie dyed humantashen. They're amazing looking. I can't say I ate one. <laughs> I'm not from the big humantashen eaters. You know, oh, I, I don't man. like to love humantashen. Really? Yeah, I know it's strange. I made my challah in the shape of a humintation last week. Okay. And on this, if people go to my Instagram page, they can see it. And then um, I the you know the crumbs on top. Sure. were Actually got the idea from Honey Applebaum when we did the humintinis. Uh huh. I took the leftover crushed humintation from the hamantinis and I put them as the topping for my humintation challah shape. That's cute. It was very
0: cute. But wait a minute! Even if we put a Vegemite in there, you wouldn't eat the humintation. Vegemite and oh, my God, that's such a great idea. Okay, I'm being totally sarcastic, Naomi. Vegemite Please do not. is delicious. Do not, do not, do not, do not go home and make Vegemite hamantaschen. Unless you're Australian,
4: because, you know, we love it. You can only like a Vegemite if you've had it from birth.
0: Right, and exactly. You have to be Australian, because, frankly, you open that jar, I'm like, dude, that's not real. <laughs> my, kids, we, my kids and I were discussing this morning – shoot, we are running out of time. My kids and I were discussing this morning how um, – depending on how old you are you show your age sorry you show your age with the kind of hamantashen that you like and I am mockpid that the only kind of hamantashen that needs to exist in this world is prune even though I believe that fruit has no place with baked goods I make an exception with prune but my oh. ki- my kids were totally mocking me last night
4: Oh, that's so funny. So I happen to do, I happen to like chocolate, so I would like a chocolate hamantashen.
0: Yeah, but what is chocolate hamantashen? It's a chocolate cookie. Like, it's not a hamantashen. I know. A Rummy's nodding. It's a It is. Yeah, you know, I know he's saying that it is because he doesn't like fruit. All right, you know what? Duck there over there behind the computer and the board. Just stay over there. <laughs> Keep your mic off, will you? Um. All right. So we have that on tap for tomorrow. What else we got going on?
4: Um. Uh, so we got Seth, and we're gonna have um a new product. This is my new favorite product. You know, I don't talk so much about individual products, right. food products. Um. I was contacted by um Jamie Dahan with a product called Sumsum. Sum. He said, I heard you're on. You're a big foodie, and you got a show on Achim Segal, and I've heard your show. But I want. Can I come over? and bring your product to try. Ah! And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, now I know I made it when someone's asking me to amazing. try a product before it hits the shelves. It was amazing. It's like um, tchina with a cream cheese consistency. I thought it might be weird. It's amazing. So I'm going to have Jamie come on, especially because I thought it's like from that kind of region, you know. It's the Middle Eastern region. That's where Purim took place.
0: Interesting. In
4: Persia. So, so I thought it would be a cool. He's going to come on and talk to us about that. We're going to have giveaways, and cooking you spread, demos.
0: It, you spread it on a bagel?
4: You spread it on a bagel or on challah. Oh, we had on Shabbos. Nice. We ate a whole package over Shabbos. It was amazing. We're going, to, we're going to be giving them away. So if people want to come down to Gomeglat between 9 and 10.30 for our supersize show, they can get a sample of this amazing product.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm... I'm You'll hungry, a, yeah, A, I'm going to be there, B, I'm hungry because it's a fast day, oh, and no, I'm C, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to everything that you're making tomorrow, so uh, do me a favor and make some kind of par of hamantash that doesn't have, like... A
4: par of hamantash, yeah, yeah you I know, know right? no pastrami for uh, me. Sweet potatoes inside, I've made them with sweet potatoes inside in in a puff pastry dough
0: That's cute. That. Yeah, it's on my blog. Oh, all right, well, maybe that's an idea for the Shabbos. Anyway, Naomi Nachman, table for two tomorrow, supersized gourmet glot. 9 to 10.30, if you're in the five towns and you want to be a part of this, make sure to show up 9 to 10.30 tomorrow morning. Naomi, looking forward to seeing you in the morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so Yussi Hollander was supposed to to, uh, join us just for the last moment or two, but I think that that's not going to work out. And, unfortunately, the the dirty looks have started, and we are out of time. But I want to let everyone know that the stunt show – hosted by Daniel Gordon will air today at one o'clock. As we've announced, it was pre-recorded yesterday because there was food involvement in the program and we did not want to do it on Tana Sester. So it was recorded yesterday. It will air today at one o'clock, both audio and video. You can go to com. I will honestly tell you it was probably one of the funniest experiences and Daniel's had a lot of them. But this was up there. So you've been listening to That's Life on the Nahtm Siegel Network. I'm Mary Melwalik. Thank you for making us part of your day. We have a full afternoon, and the live lunch is going to begin in just a few moments. I'm going to keep my promos to a minimum. Make sure to stay tuned all day today for the fun for the fun and wonderful programming we have. The Perm celebration continues tomorrow morning after J.M. in the A.M. as Naomi has announced at Gourmet Glot. It will be the end of a week of remotes, and to that I want to thank. Um, Aaron Hertz and Yossi Hollander from Irons Casino Farms and from Cedar Market in Teaneck. They have been incredible partners. First of all, they are wonderful partners together, and they've been incredible partners with us. I also want to give a shout-out to Ari Kunzler. I am a fan. I am not embarrassed. I am a huge Ari Kuntzler fan, and he was incredible yesterday morning. Really, really a phenomenal performance at Cedar Market yesterday morning. So to that, I am going to play Split the Sea, because we started talking about this yesterday, and A, I happen to love this song, but B, there was a lot of there was a lot of Purim to a Pesach talk, I should say. There was a lot of Pesach talk yesterday. It seems that Pesach has already come around the corner and Purim is already over. I'm not sure how that happened, but it certainly did. Arya Kunstler, you are an incredible mention, incredible talent. Thank you so much for being a part of our show yesterday. Live lunch starts in just a few minutes. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Coming on real fast
2: To return me to the land of Egypt To come on and bring me back Well, God has brought me out of there And He won't leave me here Between oppression and the water And the middle me And my fears and some faith are failing There's only one thing to do
3: be forever free. To be forever free. To be forever free. My captors approach now, so when I go, yeah, right into the water. My faith is the only thing I know, and I'm praying for a miracle, for a wonder to occur. I trust that God will.